Hello, and welcome back to I Just Blank, Now What? The podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Stevens. Big thank you to everyone who is listening to us today. I'm always so grateful for all of my amazing subscribers who listen to the show on the regular. And if you are new to the show, a big welcome to you. I'm always so happy when new listeners find us through connections through friends. You know, you found the show through a story. Somebody referred the show to you. Always just so grateful to build this beautiful audience and have more of these amazing stories from our amazing guests reach out to more people to help everybody figure out their now what stories and just know that you're not alone, that, you know, whatever life has to come at you, you'll be able to figure it out. And we're here to help you do all of that. So today's guest is definitely an inspiration. Her name is Ryan Ray Harbuck, and she is going to be sharing her I Just Became Paralyzed, Now What? story. At the age of 16, Ryan was in a horrible car accident that left her paralyzed from the waist down. And as you can imagine, her life went in a completely different direction. Lots of hopes and dreams that a young 16-year-old had for her future were definitely disrupted and dashed away. So she's going to be sharing her story about what happened during that accident and her life, her recovery, and where her new wheels took her in terms of her path. So she is a mom, she is an author, she is a teacher and swim coach, and she has a amazing story of resilience and what she went through after recovering from this tragic life event that really put her onto a new path. So without further ado, let's get to the now what. Have you ever had a situation happen in your life that you weren't expecting, good or bad, and said to yourself or out loud, oh my gosh, I just fill in the blank. Now what? Me too, friend. Me too. I've had quite a few actually. And in the moment, I never knew what I was going to do next. Of course, I had to figure it out. Sometimes the hard way, but I did figure it out. So join me and some amazing guests this season as we all share our own, I just blank, now what stories, so we can all learn from their transformational lessons to help us all answer that lifelong and often paralyzing question, now what? Welcome, Ryan, to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, I'm so happy to be here, Jessica. It's nice to see you again. I'm glad to be here. All right. So we have an amazing episode where you are going to be sharing, I just became paralyzed now what story. And for everyone listening, that could probably mean a couple different things to all of you. Maybe you're interpreting that one way or another. So I'm excited for Ryan to be sharing her story of actually becoming paralyzed. So before we do that, Ryan, why don't you tell everybody just a little bit about you? Obviously, I just read your amazing bio, but I always love for guests kind of share in their own words what they want the people to know about you. Yeah, absolutely. I am a native of Colorado and have been here my whole life. I live here with my husband and two boys. They're seven and two years old. And I have just finished writing my memoir and I'm looking forward to getting it published and released very soon. And so that's been keeping me extremely busy and also extremely nervous and reflective. And (laughs) so being a podcast guest is perfect right now because I've been thinking about all of the things that we can talk about. And 
Yeah. Oh, wow. Congratulations on the book. I can only imagine how exciting and nerve wracking that is. Are you self-publishing or do you have a publisher? So I'm self-publishing. I actually never really went to seek out the traditional route because I knew I wanted it out there. I wanted control over it. And so from the get-go, I started self-publishing. Okay, cool. Well, we will circle back to the book a little bit later, but I guess that's a perfect segue of your story that you're going to be partly sharing in that book, your memoirs. And this is rewinding the tape to when you were a teenager. Yeah. So this is actually going to be chapter one, really. (laughs) (laughs) You know, my story really started when I was a teenager. I was 16 at the time. And I was a very, I would say, very typical kid. I excelled in swimming. I excelled in school. I worked hard at both. But, you know, I probably could have worked a little bit harder in both of those things. I went to the biggest high school in Colorado. So what that gave me was a lot of opportunities, a lot of resources, a lot of ways to connect, but I was also very shy as a kid. And so I think that it was really hard for me to be in such a big high school, big place. I would much rather, you know, keep to myself and my small group of close friends. So I think that going into becoming paralyzed and having an accident the way that I did, that was really hard initially, just coming from the person that I was before it. And so I'll take you to that story. I was in the middle of my high school swimming season and I had a boyfriend at the time and I really wanted him to go to this winter dance at my school. And I knew that the only way that he would go is if some of his friends were going too. He actually went to a different high school than I did. And so I kind of coaxed some of my swimmer girlfriends to ask some of his friends so that we could all go together as a group and, you know, look at me. I did it. Everybody was going to go. It was like really amazing. We had all these plans for dinner and going to the dance and then going bowling and everything went seamlessly even to the point where one of my girlfriends that was going with me was able to borrow her dad's suburban SUV for the night. So all six of us could fit in the car perfectly. We didn't have to worry about other transportation or separating into different cars. It was perfect. And so, you know, we went through the night and it was great. And then we were, we left the dance and we were on our way to go to the bowling alley And nobody really knows what happened to the car or how it did what it did, but we were driving on the highway and the car ended up swerving and then flipping and crossing the grass median and it hit a car head on on the other side of the highway and it killed the driver of that car instantly. Everybody in our car, all six of us kids were hurt. There wasn't anybody that walked away from that. And we did have a fatality in the car. My boyfriend passed away immediately from the accident. I will stop and I will tell you that I don't have any memory of any of this. And so all the things that I'm telling you, I'm not very emotionally tied to because I don't remember it. It's like I've been piecing together stories that people have told me over the years about myself. And then I share that. Your brain does that. It protects you uh, against trauma. And so it, it, will take those memories away. It'll take those events away from your brain. And I mean, I have actually no memory from the day before all the way to about a week after I have nothing. And I think that before I continue my story, I think that that was one of the reasons that I was able to come out of it as quickly as I was. 
but so anyways, as the car rolled and crossed the median, hit the car, somehow I was ejected out of the side window and landed about, they estimated 75 feet away from the car. And so I had pulled and stretched my spinal cord right away. And that is what caused my paralysis. And so I'm paralyzed from about my like lower rib cage down. And so I have trouble moving and feeling my trunk all the way down to, I have no movement or feeling in either of my legs. But beyond that, because of how I rolled and was ejected from the car, I sustained really terrible road rash to where they said I looked like a burn victim. I collapsed my lungs and had to be placed on a ventilator. I broke both my arms, both my legs. And so I was in pretty bad shape. And I remember about a year later speaking with one of the paramedics that was on site that night. And they were very honest and true with me and said, you know, we didn't really know if you were going to survive or not. And so we just basically put you on an ambulance and hoped that you even made it to the hospital. And it's, you know, even like hearing myself say that today, it's really hard for me to even believe that. And, you know, there have been moments in my life where I've heard similar tragedies and it's like, oh my gosh, how could I ever deal with something like that? And then I have to remind myself, well, you, you have actually. You've lived that actually. Yeah. And that's like the strangest reality of all of them. (laughs) But obviously I, I did make it to the hospital and I was placed in an ICU unit for a month. And finally, when I was well enough to get off the ventilator machine, they could move me to another unit where I sat and tried to recover for about another month. And then from there, I moved to a rehab facility specific to spinal cord injuries and brain injuries. And there is kind of where I began doing physical therapy and occupational therapy and things to get me back into what my life was going to be like now being paralyzed, having to use a wheelchair and to learn all of the different ways my life was going to be different. Wow. Oh my goodness. That's a lot for anyone, let alone a 16 year old. Absolutely. But you know what? I think that's what saved me. I think, you know, planning for your podcast, I sat down and I really thought about like that moment, that moment that I became paralyzed, that moment that changed everything. And I feel today And I always have sort of felt very blessed that it happened when it did and that I was kind of, I was a kid because I think that, you know, I joke that I was naive and just young and didn't really like think too much of it. And and that is part of it. When you're a kid, you know, you are not tainted by things. You're full of joy and creativity and you just want to do what people tell you to do because that's what you're taught. And there's not a lot of failures. You have natural forgiveness, all these things. And so you just, as a kid, as a 16 year old, I just kept going because what else are you going to do? And so I really think that that's sort of what saved me very early on was just sort of the mentality of like, well, I don't have another choice. You just keep going. I wanted to go to the mall with my friends and go to the movie theater. And so my focus was, well, how do I do that? So I never really got caught up in a woe is me or really like lingered on what had happened. It was like, I need to get over there to where my friends are. (laughs) There's, I guess, this resiliency that children possess Mm -hmm. 
in, I guess, a higher dosage than adults, maybe because of, you know, just forward thinking and future and not really lamenting about how different their life is going to be because you actually haven't lived that long yet. Right. You're a blank slate. Yeah. Just, you just go, you, you know, it's, it's simple. And, and I think that that's, you know, often what makes adults unhappy is that they can't find the simplicity in things anymore. And so it's really hard to be genuinely happy or genuinely joyful for an experience. Yeah. I love that. I love the fact that, you know, at 16, you still, after the accident, wanted to do all of these things and your sole focus was, well, how am I going to do that now? (laughs) Right. Like, and how, like, get me to the mall. Right. Like, yeah, and that's, that's a challenge that any 16 year old has, especially if they don't have the cars, like, how am I going to convince my parents to take me to the mall so I can hang out with my friends? It was going to be the same for you, right. whether you were in the chair or not. Right. And I think too, having that sort of like athlete mentality, you know, I had always been a competitive swimmer. And so <laughs> just sort of like the mindset of like, well, if you practice something, you get better at it. And so you know, learning how to use a wheelchair or how to put my pants on or things like that, but all the things that I was learning in physical therapy and the other classes that I had to learn that were now different, it, it almost just became like, well, this is, this is my practice. This is what I have to do to get better. And yeah, I'll do it. (laughs) That mindset definitely served you in more ways than you probably really, you know, understand, especially at the age that you were. But I'm so grateful that you didn't kind of go, woe is me and lament and and think about the life lost, but more about the future forward and the life you were going to have. Right. Well, and I think, you know, that accident happened. It sounds so cliche, but literally a blink of an eye, Mm -hmm. you know, and everybody in that car's life changed forever. And every family, every friend, all of that trickled to so many people that I probably don't even understand yet today, how many people that that accident affected in it. So just the fact that all of that just happened so quickly, there's nothing anybody knows could have been done differently. And it happened. And I could sit and hold on to that split second and really just like you said, like lament and really just get really yucky and oozy about it, you know, or just recognize that it was a blip in my whole life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was drastic and dramatic and it changed everything, but it was still just a moment. Time. Yeah. All right. So you're 16, going on 17, you're going through rehab, you go back to school. What is it like now for Ryan showing up at this high school in a wheelchair? You said you were a bit of an introvert, a little shy and, and would much rather not have much spotlight on you. I'm sure there was a, quite a big spotlight on you now that you roll into high school you know, in a wheelchair, what was that like for you? Honestly, to this day, even one of the hardest things that I had to do for myself, you know, and you put it really well, you know, all of a sudden I am in a wheelchair. I am this visible reminder of that evening. Everybody knows who I am now, what had happened to me. The popular kids that I was always too nervous to talk to were approaching me because they wanted to be like, well, I know this girl. And that really felt icky. And, you know, then there were acquaintances of my friends, you know, you always have 
friends that you have classes with, but you maybe don't necessarily hang out with outside of school. A lot of those people I lost because I didn't know how to approach them. They didn't know how to approach me. And so those channels were closed. And so it was a really, really rough time, but it was also obviously very crucial for my self-growth and learning and just really being able to understand what life was about. And, you know, I learned very early on that for better or for worse, it was now my job to make sure that everybody knew that I was okay. And so that shy, reserved, young girl, it couldn't exist in, in my life anymore. And so, you know, I had to really start to advocate for myself and just for the process and, and assure people that, yeah, I'm fine. You know, I, I'm sitting down and that's different, but beyond that, I'm not hard of hearing. I don't have problems with math, you know, just like things that all of a sudden, you know, burdens that are unnecessarily put on you by people who just don't understand. Mm-hmm. And so that was something that it was like ripping a bandaid off, like, all of a sudden I had to figure all of these things out about this new life. And if I didn't, it would have swallowed me whole. I'm certain. That's so interesting for you to kind of mention that like people just assume now that you were paralyzed, that you couldn't do other things like think and speak and use your hands. And you're like, no, the rest of me is still there. It's just I'm in a chair. And I don't think that people do it intentionally. What I've learned about people is that people are good and that they are trying their best for you. And sometimes it just doesn't come through. And so just give everybody grace as you communicate and as you learn about one another. Yeah, because interacting with you is all new for them as well, right? And so how that all played out, I'm sure was, challenging for you at times, probably very frustrating for you at times, but so good that you kind of gave everybody a little bit of grace to be like, Hey, I'm okay. Yeah. Just realizing that I could kind of take a breath, take that in and not get so upset about it because I could, I could very easily get very upset. And there were times in my life where I did get very upset with conversations I'd have with people or the assumptions that somebody would have about myself there's no space for it. It doesn't do anything for Mm -hmm. me. And so just learning to sort of let go and just understand that people are doing their best, whether it makes you feel the same or not, it's, that's not your problem. Got it. All right. So let's fast forward the tape a little further and kind of talk about like all the things that you had to relearn how to do and start enjoying again. And I, I think you mentioned that you started swimming again. Yeah. And so, you know, kind of going back to the fact that I was just like a dumb 16 year old, I never entertained the fact that possibly I wouldn't be able to swim. And so, you know, I started going back to school my senior year and immediately went and signed up for the high school swim team. And I think that there were probably a lot of people that were kind of like, (gasps) what do we do with her? And I'm sorry that I've put that on people because I, you know, at the time it was like, well, of course I'm going to swim. I swim every single year and that's what I do. And I still want to swim. Yeah. That's part of my identity really. And so I think that that was something else that was really, really, really emotionally difficult to do, but it was also one of the things that 
I was able to really learn and reflect right away about like, hey, this is going to be my life and my life is going to be different. And I may have to do things differently than I want to or would have otherwise, but I can still do the things, you know, they may take longer, they might exert more energy, but I can still do them. And so, I mean, I remember getting onto the pool deck, you know, for the first time and being like, okay, I'm ready to swim. And then realizing, well, I don't even actually know how to get in the pool and having to ask for help and having to have my coaches try to figure out how to get me in the pool. And then from there trying to figure out, well, you know, I'm clearly slower than every single person here. And like, how do I navigate that? And I got really, really tired really quickly because I was really weak and I would last maybe 15, 20 minutes an entire practice before I'd start really shivering and shaking. My body had a hard time regulating its temperature. But I think the, you know, the hardest part of all of that was it was fine. I could go to practice and I could swim and I could do my thing. But the hardest thing was knowing three lanes over, that's where I would have been swimming with those fast girls and you know, going to a swim meet and watching, oh, well, here's my favorite event. This is where I would have placed. And that was really, really hard to just try to figure out how to be a part of it again without letting it eat me alive. That's where the comparison stories showed up for you was comparing your life now as a different kind of swimmer versus the competitive senior student who would have been on the podium or whatnot. And and I guess mourning a little bit of loss of that future that you had already envisioned for yourself, you know, for years before. Well, and I think too, at that young age, I even felt a lot of regret. I felt a lot of regret for, well, shoot, I could have tried a lot harder. I could have done more, you know, in my swimming, I could have pushed myself harder and just really holding on to that and thinking, well, that's a shame that I never let myself be, you know, awesome the best that I could have been. And I think that's something that led me to coaching. I ended up becoming a swim coach and I've been coaching actually most of my adult life. And I think that that was a lot of it was learning that like, I don't want others to feel like they didn't do something that they wanted to and didn't accomplish the thing that they actually could accomplish. And so I think that that was something that I was drawn to right away as a coach. Oh my gosh. Love it. Those hard life lessons that you learned applied and now are able to be a little bit of hindsight for other people and been like, don't take for granted what you're actually able to do um, because it could be gone in in a moment. Awesome. So I, you know, a big question that I always love to ask my guests is like, all right, so now what? Tell us what's going on. Now, fast forward, you're married, you have children. What was that like for you dating and then getting married and giving birth. Like I imagine that is a very different experience for somebody who is a paraplegic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, so much of my life I've learned that I am the only one (laughs) and it's not true. There are tons of, of people that are paralyzed all over the world, but in a lot of instances in, in my social circles and in a lot of adventures or experiences that I've had, I have been the only one at that moment. And so learning throughout my life that I sort of have to blaze my own trail and figure things out and not really know what's right or wrong or what is the best choice. And so I think that, you know, even though I think 
that I tried really, really hard, and I still do to this day, to just be like a normal person and do really boring things. And, you know, no matter what, I feel like my life always sort of like flips around and shows me like, you're not normal. You're, you're not like everybody else. And so I have had a lot of experiences that I know that I wouldn't have had in my life if I hadn't been paralyzed or if I hadn't been in this car accident. It's just because I think that I have been more open to opportunities and having a really keen perspective on the sort of, I guess, the nature of life and that it is fleeting and that, you know, really just using energy to enjoy whatever it is that you may have. And so I've like, I've just learned to, I think, live better than I probably would have otherwise. I graduated high school and I went to college and I lived in a dozen apartments by myself. And, you know, it was like a lot of just like trial and error. Like, how can I just live my life? But I always sort of went back to swimming, whether it was me swimming or coaching. And I began teaching. I taught high school biology and anatomy for nine years. And through coaching and teaching kind of taught me that, you know, I have a lot of lessons in me that I've learned and that I'd really like to share. And so I use those careers as really just sort of like a catalyst to be able to do that and to be able to share the things that I loved, the things that I feared, the things that I learned with these teenagers or these kids. And I think that through the course of my life, there have been lots of times where things didn't go the way that I wanted them to or planned. At one point, I had a really bad wound. And that's just like a side effect of being paralyzed and not feeling pain. And I was hospitalized. I was put on bed rest for almost a year. And coming out of that was really great because it, it made me kind of step back and think about like, what, what do I want? What's really important? And during that time, I started swimming again for myself and kind of made a promise to myself to see what happened if I put 100% of myself into swimming and into competing, what could I accomplish? And so my goal really was to try to go to the Paralympic Games that were in 2012 in London, I believe. I don't even remember now. And for two years, solidly trained every single day. I got up at 3.30 in the morning so that I could get my full swim in before I went and taught high school and then coached in the afternoon. And I went to a lot of fabulous places. I went to Toronto to swim and I went to California and I actually got to swim for the U.S. in the Paralympic Pan Am Games in Guadalajara. I was chosen to swim there. But then when it came to the Paralympic trials, I actually had a great meet and I swam my hardest and I felt really good about it, but I didn't make the team. And there were two reasons why, ultimately why that was okay. And I left that meet feeling very content and feeling very good about myself. And one of those was because I knew that I did it. I had tried, I had put a hundred percent of myself into it and I had no regrets anymore. And so I actually left that meet feeling really great about my swimming and my, and my career and my goal for that. And secondly, I think I also left that meet not feeling so bad because I actually 
met a coach there that I felt like we had a lot of in common. And so we connected and spoke about maybe I could give him some tips on Paralympic coaching because it's very different than able-bodied coaching. And he lived in North Carolina while I was living in Colorado. And we talked on the phone and we Skyped and soon enough, like we knew it was it. And in three months we were actually married. (laughs) (gasps) Wow. Oh my gosh. What a great story. Yeah. And so it was like, oh, okay, well, it's all right that I didn't go to the Paralympics. That's okay. (laughs) I found the love of my life on the, on the pool deck. Right. It's like that silly thing. It's like, wouldn't you least expect it? And, you know, I mean, I was so focused on this meet and my swimming and it wasn't even until the last night of the swim meet, it was like a five day swim meet. It was the last night that he approached me and talked to me for the first time. And I almost missed my last race, (laughs) but it was, you know, back to what I was saying earlier, you know, just a blip in time, some change in your life changes everything for you for better or for worse. I think that's what the spirit of this show is all about, right? Like I just blank now what we, the feedback that I've gotten about the theme of the show is like, everybody has a blank Mm -hmm. and everybody wakes up every day and life can come at them just like you said, good or bad. And it's figuring out, well, now what? So as a paraplegic, I'm pretty sure you had way more now what moments moving forward (laughs) than you might've had, you know, had that accident not happened because you literally had to like relearn how to do a whole bunch of things that you technically already knew how to do. So what were some of those key now what moments for you after the accident, you know, that kind of guided the rest of your life? Well, that's great. So I think like very initially was learning how to drive again. I was a new driver. I was 16 and, you know, everybody knows that when you're 16 years old and you get your driver's license, that is a huge milestone. And that is a lot of independence that you get from that. It was actually pretty quickly after I got out of the hospital, I did have to go to driver's ed again, because I now had to learn how to drive with a hand control attached inside of my car. And so what it, 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 it looks like almost like a little handlebar that sits underneath the steering wheel and it's directly connected to the gas pedal and the brake pedal. And so you have to figure out, you know, you push in for the brake and you pull down for the gas. And so I had to sort of rework my brain and learn how to do that and then go get my driver's license again with that okay. But that was huge. And it was great that the people in the hospital really encouraged me to, to drive again and to want to be able to do that quickly. Mm-hmm. And my parents were on board with it too, which that really helped because then I was able to drive myself places and having so much independence taken away from me, from just being paralyzed, you know, all of a sudden I was like trying to figure out how to put my pants on by myself. And it was, I going to need help forever doing that. Or even still today, I struggle with asking for help. And I struggle with asking for help in the grocery store when I want to reach something on a high shelf. And there are moments where I come home from the store and my husband says, where's the milk? And I say, well, I did, I couldn't reach it. <laughs> you know, and we all know that I could have asked somebody and somebody would have graciously given me the milk. But there are moments in my life where I'm just not going to get it. (laughs) So that's still a lesson that you are figuring out for yourself of accepting help. Yes. Acceptance has been a huge piece of the puzzle my entire life as a paralyzed person. Well, I'm so happy to hear that you 
didn't fear getting back into the car and that you went and got your driver's license and started becoming a driver again right away because that could have really, as you said, taken away a lot of your freedoms by not only being paralyzed, not being able to walk, but then always having to ask somebody, can you take me somewhere? Right. Well, and I think too, initially after my accident, kind of like figuring out my new life and my friendships, I felt like a burden a lot of times to people because, you know, if we wanted to go somewhere, well, was my wheelchair going to fit in their car and could they take it apart for me? And, you know, and it's like little things that actually I have gotten over (laughs) to this day and don't really think much of. But at the time, being a newly injured 16-year-old who doesn't have any sort of frame of reference, because that's a huge piece of it, is, you know, if there were 50 other girls in my high school using wheelchairs, like, perhaps that would have made a difference in how I accepted myself at that time. As you mentioned that, so what happened to the other swim team girls who were in the car with you? I know you said everybody, you know, was impacted in that accident. Your boyfriend had passed away. What about the the four others in the car? So the driver of the vehicle, she ended up shattering her jaw on the airbag. But beyond that, she had a lot of guilt. She harbored a lot of guilt being the driver of that car. And I don't think that's something that she will ever get over. And that's, you know, if I'm going to compare my injury with hers, I would choose mine a million percent of the time because, you know, I have never blamed her for that night or for the accident. And I have always just appreciated the fact that it was an accident. It was something that was unintentional. It wasn't meant to happen and have never harbored any hard feelings for that or for her. But when you're the person that's dealing with that, that's a whole nother thing. Um, I guess she had a, a version of survivor's guilt. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then my other girlfriend that was in the car, she actually sustained a traumatic brain injury and it was fairly severe to where I remember the first time they actually wheeled her into my room. They wheeled her in a wheelchair and I almost didn't recognize her. She just didn't look like herself because she had such like a blank stare about her. She was in a coma for about a week. When she came out of the coma, she didn't know how to talk, walk, eat, feed herself, nothing. She was like a baby, a newborn. And thankfully she relearned how to do most of the things that was necessary in her life. And if you met her today, you probably would have no idea, but she does, I know, have a hard time with a lot of short-term memory stuff to this day. And so, you know, it's not something like my injuries are very visible and you can tell that there's something wrong with me. And so I think that those invisible disabilities sometimes are a lot harder to deal with because people aren't expecting you to struggle in certain ways. And they're not as gracious. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. And what about the other two boys in the car? One of them broke his ankle. And so you mentioned survivor's guilt. And I think he had a lot of survivor's guilt um, about that for quite some time and probably still does too, to this day. And then the other um, boy also sustained a brain injury. His wasn't near as severe as the girls. He wasn't in a coma or anything. He had a, a hard road ahead of him too. just, you know, your brain, that's not something that you want to mess around with. So he has struggled with different things from memory to temper. And I think just 
trying to navigate a new world for yourself that is, again, like invisible to everybody else. Wow. So all six of you really did experience the repercussions of this accident in very, very, very different ways. Yeah. And, you know, thankfully we had each other. And I mentioned being in the rehab facility that was for spinal cord injuries, and it was also for brain injuries. And so when I was there, I was on the floor for spinal cord injuries. And then my two friends that had the traumatic brain injuries were on that floor. And so just having each other was really special. And I think that it helped all of us heal a little bit quicker. Good. Yes. In that instance, you weren't alone in your universe. I think you mentioned earlier at times, you know, obviously, you know, that there's other paralyzed people out in the world, but in Ryan's universe, you are the only one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it was probably really comforting to have those friends and the the ones that survived with you going through their own version of rehab and figuring out now what. Okay. So learning to drive was a big now what for you. What else was something that really sticks out to you as part of your journey that you are so grateful for that you had to figure out? I, I think very clearly being pregnant and having children was a huge one. And I would say that before I met my husband, I didn't even really entertain, am I going to have children or not? And I think some of that was that, you know, perhaps I was a little bit worried that I wouldn't be able to, or just wouldn't. And so I never really like thought much of it until I met my husband. And then once I did get pregnant, it was a very small, yay. And then, oh, what do we do? (laughs) What (laughs) Now what? Yeah. The now what? And I remember you know, sitting there on the computer and Googling everything that I could even come up with about, you know, being pregnant and paralyzed or using a wheelchair as somebody that's pregnant or a mother that's uses a wheelchair. And they're really, you know, I found a couple things and I found a couple little gems that were really great and I'm super grateful for, but for the most part, there wasn't a lot out there. I learned really quickly once I started to go to my OB appointments to get checked out to make sure that I was going to be okay carrying this baby that nobody really knew either. (laughs) And we were just going to go along and for the ride and, and hope that everything would go the way that we had planned. And, you know, I remember having multiple conversations with my OB about, well, am I going to know that I'm in labor? And am I going to know if something's wrong? And she was great in the sense that she was always very calming and she was always very trusting of my body and its capabilities. But that was almost less reassuring for me because she couldn't tell me, yes, you're going to feel when you're in labor. Yes, you will feel contractions. She couldn't tell me that. And it's not her fault at all, but I really just wish there was like, somebody out there that could have told me, this is how it's going to go for you. And I actually, it was my first pregnancy and my first labor and delivery. I lucked out so much because I was at 38 weeks and right, you know, to the day. And I had just finished coaching morning practice with my husband and we had a scheduled OB appointment. So we traveled over across town, went to that And I sat there with my OB as we went back and forth again about, do you think I'll know when I'm in labor? And she would say, yes, I think, you know, trust your body, trust how well you know your body. I think it's going to be great. And then she said, well, let's go ahead and do an exam and see where you're at. And the next thing I know, she says, 
I feel hair. <laughs> and so apparently my water had broke and we have no idea for how long. And I was quite a bit dilated at that point. And she said, you need to go to the hospital. You probably have some time. So you don't need to hurry. Like you don't need to worry about it, but you do need to get there. And so Luckily, you know, we weren't that far away. We got in the car from that appointment, drove straight to the hospital, was admitted right away, got hooked up to all the machines. And all the while I'm sitting there hooked up to this contraction monitor, watching my contractions on the monitor and not feeling a thing. Mm. And for all my life, that's always like the weirdest thing for me. Like I know that I'm paralyzed and I know that I cannot feel my lower body, my legs, but just having that visual screen of like, you are in pain right now and having no awareness is always just like, it's chilling really. Yeah. Because without that feedback monitor, you don't know. And so what you don't know, you don't know, but like to see the little blips on the screen going crazy and you're like, I got nothing over here. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And luckily, you know, I was at the hospital that I had planned to be at and I was comfortable and I, you know, was surrounded by all the medical personnel that I needed, but it, the labor and delivery, it went very, very quickly. I think by the time that we had checked in that morning, it was like 10 30 or 11 and my son was born at three. And so it was quick. Yeah. Quick. And I feel very blessed to have had that appointment that day. And that whole entire experience really messed me up for my second pregnancy because I then I, you have something to compare it to now, right? You have the now what? And I said, okay, I know what the now what is, and I don't like it. And the now what is that? I don't know that I'm in labor. And so with my second pregnancy, I really fought a lot with my OB about like, how are we going to, you know, wrap our brains around this? How are we actually going to make sure that this is safe? And, you know, that this baby comes into the world the way that he is supposed to. And again, like she didn't have the answers and she shouldn't have. But as I got more and more pregnant and more and more anxious, I started going in about three days a week. They would hook me up to a contraction monitor for about 15 minutes. And I just sit there and just hope that it would blip and it, and it wouldn't ever. And then I go back home and be all sad. But then, she, so we finally settled that on the first day of my 39th week of pregnancy, she would actually schedule me to be induced because she felt like that was safe enough for everybody. And I felt pretty good about that. Mostly, I think, because it gave me a plan. It gave me something to sit with and some control like in, and something to hold on to. But ironically enough, the day before I was scheduled to be induced, I had this weird kind of like nudgy pain on my side but this baby always sat kind of funny, sat to the side. And so I just thought it was sort of how he was positioned again, kind of went about my day. I went and coached a swim meet with my husband and I was telling him like, I kind of feel it in my teeth. Like it's a weird pain. I don't really know. Like maybe he's just like pushing on some nerves or something. And, but I, I didn't, I just played it off and I didn't pay much attention to it. At one point I remember we're driving in the car and I thought to myself, well, maybe I should take note of what time it is when I feel this pain and see if that's a correlation. And then I just like forgot about it and let it go. And some of that I think is because I knew I was being induced the next day. And so I was really just focused on that. And so the next morning I woke up, I got ready, 
leisurely went into the hospital for my induction. I told my husband not to even worry about coming because I knew everything that I read. The induction process is really long. Yeah. And don't even worry about it. And I got there and I remember this so vividly. I got into the like beautiful room that they you know, place you in. And I started telling the nurse that was checking me in sort of like, yeah, I've been having this weird pain. And she said, oh, that's, that's strange. Let's hook you up to the contraction monitor. And sure enough, there you go. I was in active labor and immediately get swept out of my beautiful room <laughs> into this tiny little room. And I'm calling my husband, I'm calling everybody saying, okay, I guess we're having this baby actually right now. And everybody made it on time and there, but he, wow. was, he was born at 11 o'clock. So very, very quickly. Okay. Um, so totally different experience with yep. the second, which is actually normal for most sure mothers, right? They're like, oh, my first was nothing like my second. So at least that was similar for you. Oh my gosh, Ryan, what, what an amazing story. So w- let's get to the book. What's the name of the book? So the book is called, When I Grow Up, I Want to Be a Chair. And it is, it is sort of like a little play on words, but it also isn't. When I was in preschool, at one point, I told my mother that I wanted to be a chair when I grew up. And she never really questioned it. She was good about things like that, just to let me be my own creative self. And I sort of chalk it up to, I had a baby sister at the, that point. And so I was thinking perhaps maybe I was like wanting to hold her. And I thought that if I was a chair, I could hold, I don't, I, but I, I have no idea. But so that's sort of where the original premise of the book, and then obviously being in a wheelchair, but it kind of chronicles all parts of my life and stories. And at first, I think I just started writing it to get it out of my head. And I did a journaling journaling exercise. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even write it chronologically. I just started writing out stories. And when it was all done, I had to go back and actually like with sticky notes, like figure out where does this story go? And it's been very cathartic to go through it over and edit it and change things. And I wrote it over the course of about 12 years. And so there are stories that I would go back to and I didn't even remember them. And so it was just a blessing that I had written them down at the time. And, you know, originally when I started writing, I probably, I'm certain I didn't see that the end chapters would be what they were. And so those changed and transformed based on my life. And it's been super scary getting ready to give it to the world, but I think I'm getting ready. (laughs) Yay. Awesome. I'm so excited for you and, you know, becoming a published author. So if people want to find, find you out there in the interwebs, where do you hang out? You know, where can people connect with you? Well, I do have a website and it's my full name, ryanrayharbuck.com. I also try to post things on Instagram, mostly in terms of what I'm writing, what I'm doing, my book. So those are probably the best places. Amazing. All right. Well, thank you so much for being our guest today and sharing your, I just became paralyzed. Now what story? I think your courageousness and excitement to move forward and just live your new life is very inspiring to people. So thank you again for coming. And if this episode resonated with you, give it a like, give it a share. Or if you know somebody who's going through something similar where something tragic has happened and they got to figure out now what, share this episode with them so that it can maybe help them figure out their own now what. So thanks again, Ryan, for joining me on the show. It was such a pleasure. And we will see everybody back here next week for another Now What Wednesday. 
Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it more than I can say. Did you love this episode of I Just Blank Now What? If you did, be sure to subscribe on your fave podcast platform. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. I do love reading them. And if you know somebody who's experiencing this story or something similar, please share this episode with them. It just might help them figure out the answers to their own now what questions. Have you recently had a now what moment and aren't sure what to do? Reach out to me at jessicastevens.ca and submit your story and I'll help you figure out what to do, how to move forward and help you answer now what. See you on the next episode.